Father, God, thank you so much, Lord, for the time of worship that we've had already. God, today is Valentine's Day that we celebrate, and God, as we talk about love, Father, I pray that tonight, as we look at your word, we would see what real love is, what true love is. God, we sometimes look at love and we think that we can wrap our minds around it, or we think that our relationships with one another represent real love. But God, the only way we can really identify real love is to look at you. God, you, God, you're, you are love. It's not just what you do, it is who you are. And Lord, I just pray as we look at your word tonight, God, we would see the picture of love. God, I just pray that we would focus in on you now. We would listen to your Holy Spirit that you have given us, that you have installed in us, that we might be able to have comfort, have peace, and have understanding God, that you would guide us toward truth through your Holy Spirit. So right now, as we look at your word, I pray that you change us forever. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are taking a break from uh, Keith's series on life for tonight since our students are gone over to Westwood. I thought since today was Valentine's Day, I'd share a message on love with you. Uh, it's very cliche of me. I don't do a lot of things cliche. Um, but today I thought I would do something a little cliche and share a message on love. Um, you know, <laughs> Keith has asked some pretty big questions. I mean, he's asked, what, what is life? I mean, I'm like, good grief, Keith, give me a break, man. That's, that's a big question. You know, theologians and uh, philosophers for centuries have been trying to answer that question. What is life? And Keith wants us to address it with our teenagers on Wednesday night. So, uh, some big questions Keith is trying to answer, right? Uh, so I, I thought I would answer the question tonight, what is love? Uh, another big question. Um, one of the things that's, that's interesting in, in my job, it, it, it's pretty cool to look back and see how my job has prepared me uh, for ministry. I didn't realize that that was happening kind of as I was going through my life. I was just doing my life and doing my thing and you know, I really know that God was setting me up to be in ministry one day. Um, it started to kind of happen a little by little. I didn't really understand what was going on. But um, as I got deeper into ministry, I started to realize how God was using the talents and the abilities to, 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 that I already had in my job, that I was learning in my job, using those in ministry. And it, it was pretty cool to see that. So um, one of the things that was said about me recently is that I'm the guy in the meetings. You know, you have all the, these meetings. I, for whatever reason, I'm involved in a lot of meetings. So that's what I do. I go to meetings. I don't even know if I have a job. I really just go to meetings. So I sit in meetings, and um, it was said about me recently that I'm the guy that sits in the back of the room, and I listen to what everybody else is saying, and then I'll say about five words, and usually that's probably about the end of the meeting. You know, it's like, it's like I've been listening to what everybody else is saying, and they didn't really say a whole, they didn't accomplish a lot, but they said a whole lot, and then I will just chime in at the end, say, this is what we need to do, and then I'll be like, oh, okay, so, that's, so that was said about me. I'm not saying that braggadociously, I'm just saying that's the way I am. I listen, I process information, then I just say, this is what we need to do, let's stop talking about it. I know that you guys have a job just based on you talking about things, but I would like to actually get some stuff accomplished, so that's how I operate. There was one time I was in a meeting, and I was listening to all these people talk, 
And I finally just got so upset, I just couldn't handle it anymore. I got up from the meeting, I left, I went back to my desk, I fixed the problem itself that we were talking about in the meeting. I came and sat back down in the meeting. They asked where I went. I told them, I said, I have just fixed the problem that all of you guys are talking about. We can talk about something else now because that problem is fixed. And they did not respond well to that. Um, But that was really, I mean, you know, their jobs are based around being able to talk about these problems. So if you just go and fix stuff, then they got nothing to talk about and they don't really have a job at that point. So anyway, that's very frustrating to some people, but for me, I just rather get stuff done. So anyway, I like to boil stuff down. I like to summarize things. I like to look at the big picture, say, okay, I kind of get it. This is what it means. You know, that's just kind of the way I operate. Um, in, in, you know, if you were to go to seminary, uh, if you take scripture and you kind of boil it down and you kind of interpret it for people, if you look, if you, you know, interpret scripture in light of scripture, they call it hermeneutics, right? That's what the big seminary word is, just hermeneutics. And, uh, you know, I always thought, who is Herman and why is he a nudist? I don't even care who Herman is, you know, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, anyway. So, <laughs> uh, I was actually in an airport, uh, right as God had first called me to ministry and I was, you know, I was talking to this guy, and it turns out he was a pastor because I saw the book that he was reading, and, and it was a Christian book, and I started talking to him about it, and uh, he, he started talking to me, and, and I, I told him, I said, I really feel like God's calling me to ministry, and he said, all right, well, what, what do you feel like, you know, your major gift is? And I said, well, I, I have this, I, I, you know, I have a gift of being able to just take these concepts and ideas and boil them down and just kind of tell people the major points, you know, and he said, that sounds like a great gift or ability for a pastor to have. So I really think that uh, God will use that. And as it turns out, God really has used that. Um, and it's one of the things that I really enjoy doing. It's taking, you know, a big 30,000-foot view, look at a lot of different things and say, you know what, there's some major concepts in God's Word. Let's look at those. Let's see those things. And if you look at all the little detailed things, they really line up with those major concepts that you see throughout God's Word. You don't have to go out and find all this, you know, ethereal, crazy stuff. And, you know, if you just look at the major concepts and adhere to those and do those things, then why do we have to make it so complicated? I believe that we make it way too complicated. Don't you agree? I think that we just overanalyze things to the point where we just make it so complicated and we want to nitpick things apart and find reasons to divide ourselves and find reasons to, to just be crazy about things. And I'm just like, man... Can't we just take the four or five things that we know we're supposed to do in the Bible and do those? No, we got to do all this other stuff, you know what I mean, and get all crazy about things and do ridiculous stuff. No, let's just do the simple stuff and boil it down and do those things and then, and then not worry about the other stuff. You know, I, that's the way I feel. But anyway, so I, I wanted to ask the question. So, you know, there's this, there's this song by uh, Hillsong. I think it's Young and Free, by the way, and it's, uh, this is real love, right? So that's the name of the song. And, and I, I got to think, what is real love? So we're, you know, because Valentine's Day, everybody's talking about, you know, they got, they got the hearts, you know, and like they're giving Valentine's Day cards, and this is true love, and everybody's posting on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, you know, uh, real love, this is my true love. And, you know, I'm, I'm like, what is real love? I mean, real love. I mean, I mean if you really boil it down, what is real love? And I started, to, I started to think about it in the context of Scripture. And I got to thinking, you know, if I've got to look at love and what it is, I've got to go back to the author of love. I mean, the one who first loved me, right? 
I love because he first loved me. So it makes sense to me that I probably should go back to the author of love and see what he wrote about love. You know, I mean, that just makes sense, right? Wouldn't it be wise to go back and see what he said about it? Kind of makes sense to me. And I really wanted to think about if you were to boil down one major concept that we really have to believe in order to be recipients of the love that God has in store for us, there's one major thing that you have to believe. Have you ever thought about what if you have to believe one thing? One thing that is true in this word that will trickle, have this trickle-down effect and, 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 and just filter through and have this, um, I don't know what I'm trying to say, this, this pervasive effect on all the other things about your faith. There's one thing that you've got to believe to be true. And I got to thinking about that. And Jesus addresses this one thing when he's talking to his disciples at the very end of his life. When he's sitting there, they're having their last meal together, and, and he's talking to them, and, and he's like setting everything up for the fact that he is going to die. There is one thing that he says that you have got to know, and that one thing is that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. If Jesus is God, then you know that everything else that he said is true, Right? That you know that the virgin birth is true. That you know that he lived a sinless life. That you know that, that when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me, that, that that is true because he is God. If you know that Jesus is God, then every other thing filters down from that. And man, that ultimately affects everything you know to be true. Everything you understand about love comes from one fact that God so loved us that he sent his one son for us and he was God, that God came to earth as a man named Jesus. And that is the one truth that we have to hold absolutely true. And that is the one truth that is the cornerstone of our faith. And so Jesus is really talking about this when he talks to his disciples. And we're going to be in John chapter 15. And he starts talking about being the true vine here. And, and, and we're going to, I mean, I know that this passage is often preached in a bunch of different ways. But we're going to look at it. We're going to take a running start through the first few verses of John chapter 15. And then really we're going to get to the love part, which is in verse 9. But I want to look at... The first verses of chapter 15. John chapter 15, beginning of verse 1, says, I am the true grapevine, or true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so they will produce even more fruit. You have already been pruned and purified by, by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. So there's a lot going on in here. And I mean, this could be a you know, three-week sermon in these few verses here. But I just want to point out a few things. He says, he says I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He see, he's given them this picture of being a vine, and he's given them the picture of the father being the gardener. And he says that... that, that and some people want to, want to point to this and say, well, this is a, a picture of salvation being removed. And this is not the case. 
That is not the case at all. What you see here is people that are superficially attached to Jesus. Superficially attached to Jesus. Who was somebody that was superficially attached to Jesus that was in the room at this point in time? It would have been Judas. I mean, people didn't even know. They were like, who is it, Jesus? Who's the one that's going to betray you? Who is it, you know? And, and, and they don't even know who it is. Do you know that there are people that come in here every Sunday morning and, and they are superficially attached to Jesus? And they look like Christians. They look like Christians. But really, Jesus is just a means to an end for them. They're really, the, the, they're really not connected to Jesus. It says those that are not connected to Jesus are cut off. It says even, it says even those that, that are connected to Jesus, the Father prunes. So, man, there's a lot here. So I apologize for rushing through this. But the, the picture here is this, is that, that even though you are connected to the vine, there is still some purging, some removal of some dead branches, some removal of some things that don't belong there, some dead weight that has to happen, and, and that is done by the Father, that the Father sees those that are connected to the true vine and still does some pruning on those. Now, this is, this is a crazy picture for us. And you think, well, man, if, if, if I love Jesus, if I'm connected to Jesus, isn't that enough? Isn't that enough to just be connected to Jesus? And here Jesus is saying it's not. That there's still some work that has to be done on you. And it's not going to be easy. And it's not going to be fun. And there's some things that's got to be cut away. And it's not going to be pretty. But it requi that's required for growth. That's required for growth. And if you know anything about gardening, you know that that's one of the things that, that you have to do. Is you know, in the wintertime, I just did this to my rose bushes, and I just cut them down basically to nothing so that when they grow back, man, they will, they will just be coming back like crazy. I've got crepe myrtles. You've got to cut them back to almost nothing. It's just what you've got to do so there can be fresh growth. The growth can be in the right places. And, and here, Jesus is saying, my father's the gardener, and I am the vine. You, you, you cannot bear fruit without being attached to me. He said, yes. I am the vine. It, wait, wait, let me back up just a second. It says, you have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. So what is the message that I have given you? The message that I have given you is this. He goes on and on. If you look back in the, the previous chapter when he's having his conversation with his disciples... He says in verse 6 of chapter 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. And, and he goes on and says, uh, he, he, he goes on and on to tell them that, that he is the same as the Father. If you obey me, if you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. And he is the Holy Spirit who, who will lead you to truth. And he goes on to say, all who love me, do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey me. And he goes on and on to tell them that, that basically he is God. And he, he just continues on and on throughout his whole conversation with his disciples. This last thing that, that he's saying. He even goes on at the end of chapter 13. He goes on to give them a new commandment. He says... I am giving you a new commandment in verse 34 of chapter 13. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. 
Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Nobody has the authority to give a commandment except for God. So he could not give a new commandment unless he was claiming to be God. And that one truth is the message that he has already given to them. And because they have accepted that message, that is the message that has connected them to the vine. He says, yes, I am the vine. In verse 5, he says, yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to the Father. It's about being connected to Jesus. It's about believing in that one single truth that he is indeed God. And what is so interesting to me is that people, I mean, I mean this, this is what's crazy, is that people claim to, to believe that truth that he is indeed God, but there's no fruit in their life. There's no obvious fruit in their life. What, what, what would be fruit? Well, if you love Jesus, if you are truly connected to Jesus, if you believe that Jesus is God and he said that you uh, will be known by how you love one another, doesn't that mean that you would be having that Jesus influence on other people? You'd be loving people to Jesus? If you truly love your neighbor as yourself, wouldn't you be loving them to Jesus? You love yourself enough for wanting your eternity to be secure. Wouldn't you want other people to want their eternity to be secure? Wouldn't you want them to have a relationship with Jesus? Wouldn't you be serving in the name of Jesus Christ so as he is the light of the world? Man, people can see that and they'll be drawn to Jesus. I mean, people, I mean, even something simple as coming to church. I don't understand how you could be in love with Jesus, say that he is God, and everything that he says in true is true, but you know what? I don't have any interest in, in, in being around and, and worshiping him. And I, I mean, I get that you can watch online. I get that. I really do. I get that you can watch on the internet, but it's, unless you are just physically not able to get here, man, there is something different about being able to be in the room and being able to worship him. I mean, can you, I mean, that's like saying, that's like saying that, that you've got a spouse that's over in Afghanistan and you're FaceTiming with them and going, man, this is just like being face to face with you. This is just like it. Man, I'm so glad I get to talk to you. Is that the same? It's not quite the same, is it? Now, Am I saying that that Jesus is in this room physically? No, but there is something real about his presence when you are in here in the midst of other believers and he inhabits the praises of his people. And there is just something so special about being in the presence of the worship and being in the presence of uh, the, the preaching that is going on. There is something special about being here. There is just something special about it. You say, man, I'm so connected to Jesus. I'm so in love with Jesus. The truth that Jesus is God rules and reigns in my life. But I don't have any interest in being around the things of God. I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get that. I mean, if if Jesus truly is the love of your life, 
isn't that going to just permeate through your life? Isn't everybody going to know? Isn't it just going to be obvious to the people at work and at school? Are people going to have to ask, where are you going to be on Wednesday night? Are you going to be at church on Wednesday? Are Are you going to be at church on Sunday? Do they even have to ask that? I mean, if you truly are in love with Jesus, would that even be a question that somebody would have to ask? I don't think it would be a question, would it? I'm, I'm going I'm to be in a place where, where people are just gathering to worship Jesus. I tell you the story all the time about the men who were in Haiti. And we were singing songs and, and reading God's word. And they were in their Sunday best sitting over in a corner with their Bibles in hand. And I asked who the guys were. I said, oh, oh, those are some local Haitians. They, they come here every single time we gather on Sunday nights to, to sing praise and worship songs and to just share a Bible verse and talk. They said, but they don't understand a lick of English. I said, well, why do they come? They said, oh, they told us why they come. They said they want to be wherever the Holy Spirit is, and they know the Holy Spirit is here, so they want to be here. Oh, I think that's what real love is, you know? I think that that's the picture of real love. I have loved you. Even as the Father has loved me, remain in my love. It's not something that's fleeting. It's not something that's here for a little while. Uh, when, you're, when your kid is sick and then when your kid's all better, it goes away. You remain in that love and it is something, it is a truth that, that just resonates from your whole life. And it doesn't come and go. I recognize, y'all, I recognize that there are times when you are closer to Jesus than the others. I recognize that you have ups and downs, roller coaster rides in your relationship with Jesus. That's reality that happens. There are times when you read God's word more than others. I get it, okay? There are times when you pray more than others. I get it. But there should not be a time when people should look at your life and question, does that person love Jesus? There's a difference, right? There's a difference. There's a difference between, man, I'm not quite as close to Jesus as I used to be, and people looking at you and go, man, there is not a single bit of fruit from their life whatsoever. There's a difference. There's a difference. He says, remain in my love. It says, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. When you do, what did, what did Jesus say? He says, everything boils down to two things, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do that. When you do that, it's obvious that you love me, that you're remaining in my love. When you love me, you love the Father, and you love people. And it's so crazy to me. People call themselves Christians and it doesn't look like they love anybody but themselves. And I'm like, how is that true? How is that possibly true? And he, he takes this a step further in just a second. He says, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Uh-oh, he's talking about like you will have joy as a result of this. This is my commandment. Love each other the same way I've loved you. Now, he's talking about love and he's talking about having this immense kind of love for one another and this immense love for God. And he said it will actually have a positive influence on you. That you will actually have joy. Have you ever seen somebody that called themselves Christian and they had zero joy? I'm talking about zero. Ever. 
You look at him, you're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to stand by you. You know? <laughs> I don't want to sit by you in church. You have no joy. There is none. You are sad. I don't like you. You know what I mean? I'm supposed to love you, but I don't like you, okay? Because you have zero joy. And he says, your joy will overflow if you, uh, you just obey this commandment to love each other. And he says, this, this is what he goes on to say. This is where it hits home for these guys, right? So it gets, it gets real dicey here. He says, one thing to, to love me, to love your friends, to love the people that are around you. He says this, he says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. You are now my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. This is what he says. He says, things are changing, okay? He says, I'm about to have to go away. And he says, I've given you this command to love each other. And it's a big command. And he says, I'm about to prove to you how big it is. Once and for all. You see, I know that you recognize, you've taken this truth that I am God, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. You've taken this truth. And that's a big deal. But I want you to understand that I'm your friend too. And I'm about to go to the cross for you. And I'm about to willingly lay down my life for you. See, I want you to understand something about love. This is the most important thing about love, I think. If you look at Jesus, if you look at the fact that, that God showed his love to us, the number one thing I think that, it, that we should recognize about love through Jesus Christ is it, that it is sacrificial. True love is sacrificial. If you look at all of these things that we just talked about, it does not point towards you. It points towards everybody else, right? It, it permeates away from you. And, and it overflows out of you. And you say, you know what? I'll do whatever it takes. You keep telling me, Jesus, that, that how I love one another, how I love one another, that's the most important thing. Love one another. It's got to be me pouring myself out. And Jesus said, I'm about to show you the way to pour yourself out. And I'm about to do it in a profound way. And he did. But this is the cool thing. You see, he wasn't just talking to these guys in the room that day. See, these red letters written here were not just for those men sitting there eating a meal with him. They were for every single one of us. Every person sitting in this room. Every person out there. In the city of Oxford, Alabama, every person in Calhoun County, Alabama, the United States of America, this whole entire world. He said, I'm about to show you what real love is. And I'm about to show you how sacrificial real love is. So when you think about love on Valentine's Day, when you think about what does it mean to really love, you should be thinking sacrificial. You should be thinking, 
Not so much about me. Not so much about what I'm taking in, but it's all about what I'm pushing out to this world. And if you really genuinely say that you have a relationship with Christ, if you love Jesus, and you say that that is the meditation of my life, that that is the heartbeat of every single thing that I'm about, is that the overflow of your life? Is your life sacrificial? Is the pattern of your life such that you're willing to do things for other people more so than you're willing to do things for yourself? Is that the pattern of your life? Is that how you're loving other people because you're sacrificial? Or does your life tend to push more towards the side of, I'm more about me than I am everybody else? Jesus gives us a chance. He says, you know what? I love you. You're going to make mistakes. That's why I'm going to die for you. That's why I'm going to die for you. So you can come and ask for forgiveness. And I'll forgive you. And when you do it again, I'll forgive you again. It's totally sacrificial on his part. I don't know how we can't just be overwhelmed by that kind of love. That's real love. Let me pray. Father, I'm overwhelmed by your love. I am amazed by your love. God, this love that we talk about, in terms of how you gave it to us, it is called grace. How you love us beyond ourselves. You love us beyond what we do. You just love us. That agape kind of love. That unconditional kind of love. And I I just cannot wrap my mind around it. God, no matter how many times I mess up, no matter how many times I have rebelled against you, God, you still love me. And that is evident through your son, Jesus. Your son, Jesus, died for every single mistake that I was going to make. And I would be forgiven of all of those mistakes if I held on to one truth, that your son Jesus was God. So God, I I thank you for that truth that resonates in my life. I thank you for that truth that, God, it's just, it's unshakable. There may be somebody here that doesn't, doesn't hold on to that truth. God, maybe it's evident by the fruit in their life that uh, maybe there is no fruit. God, the, the love of God does not flow from them, that other people aren't drawn to the love of God through them, and maybe, maybe they've never seen somebody else fall in love with God because of their life. And because of that, God, they, they, they know that you don't reside in them. Lord, whatever the case may be, Lord, I just pray that you do a work. God, you prune us by giving us truth. This, this word is the, the pruning tool, and Lord, maybe tonight you've just done some pruning in our lives. You've shown us some things where maybe what we thought in our minds we, we really believe to be love is not really love. God, I, I just pray that uh, for those maybe that just need to fall down on their face and say thank you for your amazing grace and the love that you poured out on us. God, I just pray that we would do that. And for those that have an understanding that we need to be more sacrificial in our love, pray that we would fall down on our face before you. God, we'd ask for your strength, the strength that is beyond ourselves. God, to be more sacrificial in the way we love. This is a time we respond to you. This is a time when we allow the Holy Spirit to stir in our hearts. God, as your word has been the tool, the, the Holy Spirit uses that tool, God, to convict us, to do that pruning. 
to do that purification so that we might come away stronger and bear more fruit. So, Lord, do your work right now as we respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Would everyone stand?